And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. Super. I'm super. Where where do you want to begin <laughs> with this? With I mean, at first I was watching this. I almost tweeted this, and thank God I didn't. I almost tweeted this and said these. This game was supposed to be one of the entertaining games, and whoo! Thank God it ended up, ended up being very entertaining. But the tale of two halves. That's definitely how this game went. There were about two minutes left when they were driving to go kick the game-winning field goal, and I'm sitting there in my basement, like we have to do a podcast after this on video. Right. I haven't done anything. I'm like in my sweats because I was going to get ready during the second half of the game. I was going to like compose right. myself. So I'm sitting there with my basement shower on. ETN gets the fourth and one carry. My dog is barking. And there's just pure chaos for the last like four hours. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, I don't even <laughs> know where to start. I was doing some back of the napkin math. Very okay. quickly before we started, because on the NFL Jesus system, they only have first half and final stats. Yeah. So Trevor was 10 of 24 for 77 yards in the first half. Yeah. Uh, he finished a- 28 of 47 for 288. Okay. So my crude math says that means in the second half of that game, he was 18 of 23 for 211 yards. That's not bad. That's not bad. It's. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was uh, definitely uh, after a few drives and him getting fooled a couple times. It was like, man, this—it's a playoffs, man. You know, might be you know just treat him like a rookie. You know, it's it's good jitters, get it out. But he came out in the second half and uh, like just the confidence he was showing and him rallying the teammates and everything. Like even after he made bad plays, him coming to the sideline and saying stuff, and you could tell he was like, "It's on me, it's on me." And man, he came out in the second half and the whole team, the whole Jaguars, they had a, just a great, great plan and and they never wavered. It was really kind of cool to see them kind of stick to the plan. Plenty of runs and Trevor was Trevor with some some great play designs as well. Let's start with how the hole got dug. So when we were planning on what we were going to talk about on this show after the first half, I figured we would talk a lot about, man, what a game plan by the Chargers. You know, What a yeah. game plan by Brandon Staley. Did a fantastic job of just making it hard on Trevor in a bunch of different ways. The best yep. example being one that we don't need to show the play. We were going to, but it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things now. <laughs> right. <laughs> on the, I, th- I think it was the third Asante Samuel interception. Okay. The Jags used motion to try to get like a man yep. zone tell with Christian Kirk. Yep. Michael Davis follows Christian Kirk across the formation, and then the Chargers play zone behind it. And they yep. were, Jack's running a crosser, and Trevor thought, well, that's open. There's nobody there. And he throws it right to Asante Samuel in cover two. That happened yep. a bunch in the first half of the game. They are playing a lot of man on early downs, driving hard on mm-hmm. everything underneath, playing a lot of sticky man coverage, disguising it well. Thought, man, 
they're just junk ball pitching their way to this game. <laughs> and that that's yeah. going to be enough. Like Staley's still a really good game planner. We've seen what he's done over the last month and a half of the season. And they really jumped on this Chargers team. Didn't take advantage of all their opportunities. You know, kicked too many field goals. The offense didn't look great, but it didn't end up mattering. You know, you get up 27 at half and you kind of coast your way to a win. And what a great season for the chart for the Jags. Da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. Then the second half starts. So my big question to you on the Jags offense side of this, what do you okay. think were the biggest differences with the Jags uh, offense in the second half of the game? So in the first half, I'll start with the first half because like you said, that, that interception that you just brought up was a great example of, of what's kind of Staley was doing, what the Chargers defense was doing. The Jaguars like to be in those one by three formations wherever it's the only the lone receiver and the three wide receivers to the other side. They would motion somebody across. That's where you're saying the man zone tell and switching to cover two. And uh, Jaguars love running crossers and drive drive concepts, mesh concepts, screens. And in the first half, the Chargers kept showing single high man cover three, three buzz, three weak robber, just single high, single high. And on third down, they'll go to cover two. The second half. The Jaguars adjusted, not only just in the run game, they're like, okay, you're going to do this. We're going to run some more zone stuff that that uh, we can run against these fronts that you're showing, these single high fronts. We can't do inside zone because uh, a little dicey. You have too many guys, too many bodies for us to block. But also in the passing game, saw a lot more outbreakers yeah. happening. Saw Deep a lot more outbreakers stuff, too. Which is good against cover three and, and single high coverages just because you're attacking the leverage. And also just the underneath throws – were a lot more available. And I think the underneath throws changed where Trevor thought he could get them. I think he thought, oh, well, if it's cover six, I'm going to get him at one spot. I mean, I won't get into too much detail, but in between the seam and the numbers, and now it's in between the, uh, not the seam and the numbers, the hash and the numbers, and now it's in between the hashes. It kind of just the check down area changed for him too, the areas that they attacked. And so just in the second half, I mean, the Zay Jones touchdown, the 39-yard touchdown was a beauty because they checked into it. They were wait. That was a shot play territory. Anytime that kind of thirty to forty yard area—that's a real green zone, gold zone. Teams will call it that. You know, you're gonna see some shot plays. They checked into that same formation, one by three, and because they're getting, they got cover six on that play. And what I thought was brilliant on it was they had Christian Kirk run right at Derwin James and it tied down Derwin James. Stop. There's no one, no one left to cover Zay Jones because but he again, has the a guy vertical route. Again, yep, they, pushing the ball down the field in the way that they, they didn't in the first half. And, and I think that yep. was one of the biggest parts of this is that they didn't do any of that. And then when they saw the way that the Chargers were playing them, they started taking just – obviously, that's a huge vertical shot. But just all yep. of those corner routes that we saw from them in the second half, oh. that's just an area they weren't attacking in the first half. Yep. And the the Chargers, it was a great game plan. The, like I said, the interception, the first inter- – or the second interception, I should say, on fourth down – was the Jaguars were trying to go quick on it. They did a cheat account where the center grabs the ball and snaps it right away. So it's like a silent, silent count. And the Chargers brought a slot pressure there. Again, it's playing off the single high stuff that they showed. Right guard, Scherf, and the center get occupied by a crosser or a crossing defense alignment. Free runner in Trevor's face. They're playing physical on them. They just clamp down, clamp down, clamp down on them. But that was what's so nice about what the Jaguars did in the second half. Like you said, those deep outbreakers, they were attacking those areas that were given them because the Chargers were saying, we're going to load up with bodies in the box so you won't run on us. And on the we're going to challenge your receivers. We're going to press them and throw it outside. Beat us on the outside. Have Marvin Jones and Zay Jones beat us as opposed to Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram beat us. And it was working for a while until the Jaguars started to find answers, especially in the second half. But no, it, it was just a it was a great 
opening punch and a great counter punch from the Jags and that, and they <laughs> enough points were scored off of it before the Jack, uh, Chargers were able to adjust. I mean, the touchdown throw to Kirk, just really good ball placement working against Bryce Callahan. He had another one, on, I believe the next drive on the right sideline, same kind of deal. I mean, the ball yep. placement from Trevor in the second half was really, really good. And you contrast that with what the Chargers offense looked like for most of this game. And yeah. they couldn't run the ball, which we didn't think they would be able to. 2.9 yards per carry. And that includes, you take that out. So on running back runs, they had 20 carries for 55 yards mm-hmm. in this game, which isn't surprising at all, given yeah, what, what the Jags run defense is and how the Chargers have run the ball this season. On In terms of throwing the ball, they couldn't do that either. And the they lived on third down and Trevor esca- and, and Justin Herbert escapes in this game. His yep. ability to navigate the pocket, find guys late in the down. I actually thought the tackles played okay, considering it was a third string left tackle and Trey Pipkins, who's been banged up all season against the edges. Mm-hmm. I thought the pass protection was actually okay. When it wasn't, he did a really good job of navigating the pocket. And then on third down in this game, I mean, their third down efficiency in this one was eight of 17. Yeah, you go 17 eight, third downs. You go eight of 17 and you, 17 third downs, but you go eight of 17 on third down and you win the turnover battle by five and yeah. you lose. That is a truly disgusting performance from your offense down to down when you do that. The second half, they you brought up the running stats overall. They had zero successful runs in the second half. The Chargers did. And not only just have to run the ball just because it has to be a part of your offense. You're trying to burn some clock. Even if you have a double-digit lead, you're still trying to milk some. And that leans into just even, like you say, it was disgusting. Like the, the most disgusting play to me was after the Jaguars scored to go 28, 28 to 30. And so it was like three minutes and change, I believe, left, yeah. maybe about four for the Chargers. They come out in 13. So that is four-minute offense territory. That is the offense is trying to burn the clock. Usually see a lot more heavy personnel. When I talk about situations in the NFL, this is one of them. And defense trying to get the ball back. Chargers come out, 13 personnel with Joshua Palmer on the field. And I like Joshua Palmer, but he's a nice role player. But they're going, run, 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 run. We're running right here. Run, run, run. And they run a heavy play-action play. The Chargers tight ends are not, <laughs> not what you like. who you want on the field to design this. Gerald Everett can make some mismatches for you, but other guys are whatever. And Joshua Palmer, again, a role player. Yeah, you get him because he's your blocking receiver. But then now you're kind of pigeonholing yourself. Who, where's the juice coming from? Who, who are you designing that play for? Everett, maybe on a sale route. And sure enough, no one pops open. Justin Herbert takes a sack. That four-minute drive is dead. And you can just feel the game go right after that. And sure enough, what happens on second along? Screen, running back screen. It's just so by the books. There's no – the even the creativity, like the play-action shot is so by the books. It's like, oh, this is the this is my changeup. This is by the books changeup. And sure enough, the Jaguars just teed off on it and then – Got the ball back and won the game. So many missed opportunities. I mean, Herbert. So many. Herbert misses that throw in the end zone, and they have to kick a field goal. I mean, that's one mm-hmm. that's totally on him. But you could just feel how little juice the offense had overall. And then you yep. lose DeAndre Carter at one point. Which, yep. if your offense losing DeAndre Carter is somehow this death knell to your passing Huge. game, that's when you know you're in trouble. But that was the state of their receiving core yep. coming into this game. I mean, you're down to Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, and Michael Bandy at one point. Yep. And that's brutal. And then you have your third string left tackle in there. And then on defense, Michael Michael Davis getting hurt and Jaseer Taylor going in there did end up mattering. He got dinged for the pass interference. They had a quick comeback to Marvin Jones that was the type of play that they've been shutting down the entire game. And then you can just feel it 
start to slip away. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, the whole second half, it was like they came out and it just felt like that. I mean, when they shoot, when the, the <laughs> when the Jaguars scored and they did the two point play, you know, after Bosa gets kicked out of the game, they uh, they're doing the he didn't get play. kicked Trevor, out. He, he two, didn't get kicked two, out. Two I don't think he played the rest of the game though. So even that little part of the meltdown, yeah. is just yeah really frustrating a to lot. watch. Well, oh, the other thing was, of course, the Chargers hurry up play. You know, when they have a play that might get challenged, is stick two by two stick, which I thought was very funny. I thought, but uh, how about can we talk about the fourth and one? That was pretty sweet from the Jaguars. I wanted that to was... talk about just the mindset <laughs> they brought into that half period. The fact yeah. that it was never over. That you could nope. feel that that it was. They never thought it was over. Going for two after getting that penalty yeah. and saying, "All right, we're going to put ourselves in a position With to the kick one. this field goal," and then. Having that fourth and one, and instead of just sneaking it, saying, we can go for the throat right here. Yeah. That's who Doug Peterson was all year. And it was yep. fun to see that version of this team with their season on the line, pulling off one of the greatest comebacks that we've ever seen, capped off by a marvelous decision in that huge moment. It was awesome. Well, and before, it looked like sneak, sneak, sneak. I think everybody, even Tony Dungy came alive for that thinking it was going to be a sneak <laughs> and he, he winds up and I mean everybody like before the timeout everybody's within the tackles the offensive tackles I mean there's like five defenders within there just squeezed in there's no gaps to be to be found I actually originally thought Trevor was going to snap it and try and bounce it outside which you'll see the quarterbacks do a little bit now and they come out of that timeout come out of the the Chicago Bears fight song, the T formation. <laughs> it was awesome. And the sweep to ET. It was awesome. You got Manhurt set in the edge. Uh, I mean, it was just a great counter. It was awesome. I mean, because even you that even kind of sells sneak a little bit because it's like, oh, they're wedging it forward. Like they're gonna have those three guys run forward and push them. So even that there's maybe that casts a little doubt, but it was awesome. Just a little yeah, talk about change-ups right there. Like, we're not going right up the middle. We're going to bounce it outside with the guy, with Crazy Legs ETN, who's going to get to the edge no matter what. So, awesome, awesome play. Even going for two and just the quickest two-point conversion of all time. Trevor's Trevor's sneak launch. Quickest play of all time. It was like Derek Fisher against the Spurs. The .4 seconds. Yeah. Like, that's what it felt like. It was just like, boom, boom, done. I was like, what the hell just happened? He, he scored. Was there a penalty there? But, yeah, Jaguars, I mean, right away, they went for and fourth down. Like, even with the interception that Trevor had, they – they never lost lost that confidence, that aggression. It was awesome. Part of me was a little bit disappointed in that we really liked watching this team for a good chunk of this year. And I think a lot of people who maybe didn't watch them as often as we did or as closely as we did, seeing them fall flat like this would be like, man, really? Like People were excited about know, the Jags right? at some point this year. Yeah. And that's why so many of those moments in the second half were fun. Even this was a small one, but Fatu Kasi getting that sack after he made the play on the Trayvon Walker personal foul that ends up giving the Chargers right. another chance. It's almost like a ball don't lie thing for him where he right. roasts Zion Johnson on that play action, the sack that you were talking about, and he makes a play. And then yeah. so you got that defensive injection that we did in the offseason that we had seen at other times this year. And then on offense, Christian Kirk making two or three monster catches yeah. in the biggest moment possible and Trevor being that guy. You know, it was yep. not a great first half. I think that the couple bad interceptions, I mean, the two – the one to Samuel where he doesn't read the coverage is, is where he gets what tricked. truly on him. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets yeah. tricked on that one. The one that's the inbreaker where Samuel, Samuel made a great play on it. That's not yep. a great decision. But one was tipped and one was probably pass interference. Yeah. And so it's not a it's obviously not a great half when you throw four interceptions. But coming back and seeing him do what he did in the second half wasn't surprising if you've watched Trevor yeah. Lawrence play all season. No. They, I mean, they've had 
multiple of these moments, multiple of these games, especially like huge deficits, the Ravens game, especially the, and not to get into like full blown, like real life is Rudy moment, you know, or anything like that, or Hoosiers or something. Well, Hoosiers is based on real life, but the, but those types of like sentimental moments. So they showed them on the side. Huh? Yeah, I know. Oh, God dang it. That's a terrible analogy. But the, but just showing them on the side. I'm, I'm talking about the Disneyification of this. We're not, we're not, they're not our parent company. We're good. So it's <laughs> just like any of the, like they showed him on the sidelines, especially in the first half. He had the one bad play. Even last week when he had the bad pitch play against the Titans, he went right up to uh, whoever they tried to pitch it. I think it was Austin, Tavon Austin. He goes, that was high, wasn't it? Ah, my bad. He put his arm around him. They showed him. He was like, hey, my bad. Like he sh- And when they started to make the comeback, they showed him on the sideline with the, the Microsoft Surface tablet. It sounds like an advertisement now. Just going like, do-do-do-do-do, like po- po- pointing at it, and the whole offense is just locked in. It's like, man, they just compare these sidelines right now. One one sideline just absolutely needs to change their underwear, and the other sideline's like frothing at the bit to, just to get back out in the field because they feel like they, they have them. They have them on the ropes, and they did. <laughs> they actually did. It wasn't just a fake confidence type of thing. But it, it's awesome because there's so many bad moments for that Jaguars offense and defense. Like, you know, like Chad Muma's getting torched by Gerald Everett for a touchdown. You know, Austin Eckler bounces and Tyson Campbell misses, you know, misses the the angle and it's an like easy touchdown to bouncing. Trevor has his moments. The run game's not going. And then the second half, it was just a collect, not just Trevor, but just the whole team just had that confidence. The defense, you could feel them attacking, attacking the run game. So it was a fun story. And that's the thing. It's kind of cool to actually see them truly bounce back within the game in a playoff moment, not just like go like, oh, they came up short maybe next year. These feisty Jaguars, the cardiac cats. No, they actually pulled it out, which is it's just astounding. It's a fa- it's a fantastic win for that team. You contrast that feeling with what the Chargers must be feeling like right now. And I think now we're led to some pretty big questions. This is now going to all happen in the shadow of one of the biggest playoff collapses, if not the, the biggest playoff collapse that we've ever seen. They were already some conversations about decisions that the Chargers have made over the last couple of weeks with Mike Williams getting hurt in that game because they played the starters with this team underperforming last year. I don't want to be overly reactionary and mm. have that color everything we think about what the Brandon Staley regime has looked like in Los Angeles. But as we talk about the aftermath of that game, what do you expect a reasonable set of moves and decisions to be for the Chargers organization? I think Staley, the coach, just talking about X's and O's, really impressed me in the last stretch of the season and this first half of this game. And then, but Staley as the head coach, kind of like the the team just kind of lacked some stuff. And really, I think that starts with the offense. And of course, there's this team has just been decimated by injuries. So we always have to keep that in the back of our mind. But knowing that, not seeing adjustments throughout this year. The defense adjusted their asses off, especially when losing Bosa and other guys and bouncing guys bouncing around. The offense never had that same identity of versatility, especially even with the quarterback and all that. I think you have to address it in some way, shape, or form. If you're keep I think Staley has coached his ass, like has done a lot of good as much as there's been moments that we're pointing at, especially in week 18 and the the playing the starters type of thing. But there's also just been a lot of good. So it's like either path I understand in a weird way, but I, the offense has to be addressed in some way, shape, or form. If that's changing the head coach to an offensive-minded head coach or if that's changing the coordinator if Staley stays. But I think what he's done with the defense as an X's and O's uh, standpoint has been very impressive, and the team did fight back in the second half of the year. But there's always just 
always just that lacking, that feeling of want with this team a little bit. And that starts at the top. Yeah, I, I have the same feeling where you, I just want more out of it. I don't think anybody who heard me talk about that team before the season started and yep. heard some of my frustration as the season went along, specifically at some really low points, it just feels like there's more there. But when you think there, about the amount yeah. of talent that they've accumulated and that starts on the offense. And I, I think a lot of people are going to look at what happened tonight and the first thought. You saw it happen as the game got back into contention and as things got bad and as it slipped away, the amount of Sean Payton jokes that started tumbling out on Twitter. And that's not going to go away you nope. know, until the Chargers come out and explicitly say he's back or he's not. Yeah. I think that he probably deserves to be. I think that they made the playoffs. I think what he did in the second half of the season, I think that you need to reevaluate everything about the offense and about the plan on offense and who's the, who's the offensive play caller what does our personnel look like do we go get some more speed you know they're the offensive line i think obviously slater got hurt Um, slater yeah (laughs) but slater getting hurt is huge sawyer played well for a rookie thrust into that position i think that the interior like fowler didn't have a good year compared to what he did last year and then you know, right tackle Pipkins was hurt for most of the year. So you think about what the offensive line needs to look like personnel wise. And then you think about who the play caller needs to be and where you can inject some more explosiveness within the offense. Because that to me is you look at the personnel and the talent. That's the thing that was missing the most. We knew that coming into the year. We did. They had no speed (laughs) and they still, they had no speed at the end. They did. Everything just felt so tight and condensed. And what Christian Kirk could provide for this team in this game for the Jags, when everything felt tight in the first half, the Chargers right. didn't have that guy, especially right. without Mike Williams. But even with him, they didn't have a guy with that level of explosiveness within the offense. So I think that's the biggest question. My concern is that there's not a lot of wiggle room with this team. They spent to win the this Super Bowl th- this season. This was their, yeah. That's what this they did. Push the cap here. JC Jackson is making seventeen million dollars against the cap next year. JC Jackson Jackson didn't play for that defense that was one of the best defenses in the league over the second half of the season. A lot of the things about their plan coming into this year were not the reasons that they ended up being a dangerous team or looking like it by the end of the season, which is kind of funny. But what does that mean, and how does that inform the team you want to be? Next year, as you kind of really take stock of this, if Brandon Staley is going to be the guy who stays and Tom Telesco and all that. Right. And the bringing up Christian Kirk is a great comparison because it's not just – everyone thinks like, oh, juice to the offense, and we use that term a lot. And it's not just having a burner, just having a, a Khalif Raymond, which would help. Don't get me wrong. But it's just having some guy that can beat man that's not pinning the ball on the guy. Keenan Allen can beat man, but it's a catch and tackle. It's it's angle routes where he gets cu- catch and tackle. He, he catch, I, I love Keenan Allen, I, 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 but this is just his game. He's, this is his game. Keenan Allen ran a four angle. seven ten years ago. Yeah, and he, yeah, <laughs> that's all you need to say. But then you watch Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk, is I love a Keenan burner. Allen, but- yeah, no, no, but we know, everyone knows this game. He's old man at the Y. Like that, that's what it is. And then, but then Christian Kirk who runs a four five, maybe. And, but he's so smooth and he provides that separation or just that man beating ability that's at the intermediate levels. There are so many short level beaters with this, uh, with this, uh, Chargers offense that's like, so it's either a stop route or a back, you know, back shoulder go to Mike Williams on the outside or it's Keenan Allen winning and getting tackled right away. And so there's just not that 
creativeness that that someone just taking it and run it gerald everett but you, gerald everett's hard to rely on especially like wh- how you want to use him and, and where you want to align him he has a limited role and even for that look at how evan ingram's used and how gerald everett's used it's like evan ingram is just crossing crossing guys to death just crossing routes crossing routes you see gerald everett run that but then you see him running a lot of corners and, and digs and it's like no that it's not wrong, but it's not great. It's a lot of B minus answers of how they use their personnel, but they need juice and having juice will help find answers. Cause it just gives you room for error, no matter who the play caller is. I just said, I think that he deserves to stay. Would you keep him? If you were the Spanos family, if you were the owners of the chargers, would Brandon Staley be the head coach of the chargers next year? Yes, but I, you have to change the coordinator, offense coordinator. Okay. I, uh, that, that'd be my, I think we're in the same place. I, I Staley in the second half, and, and that's it. We had all had high expectations, and he does like him as a coach. That's why I keep saying X's no schematics did a lot, and how the team fought their asses off. Those matter when Agreed. you're a defensive play caller and you're the head coach. The team reacted, responded. They didn't just look at what, watch the freaking Broncos, watch uh, other teams that just folded up because they didn't believe in the head coach. Those guys fought for the head coach, but. You have to address the elephant in the room, which is the the offensive play caller, and I think that's that's the caveat, or that's the the one check mark, check mark that he has to mark off, checkbox he has to mark off. That that's where I land to is that yeah. we need more out of I have to star level quarterback and you know yep. the, what we spent on receivers and all that. I think that they deserve a lot of credit for fighting through the amount of injuries that yep. they suffered this year. I think that they deserve a lot of credit for what their defense looked like in the second half of the season, but I don't think you can get through another season with a middling offense when you have a quarterback that's as talented as the one that they have. Correct. Just let it open up. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. <laughs> they need a decanter for the offense. Just let it breathe a little bit so you actually like could taste the aroma of Justin Herbert. <laughs> Jags most likely will get the Chiefs next week if the Bengals and Bills take care of business tomorrow. I don't know. I'm excited wow. to watch that game. I <laughs> It's a tough one. Uh, it's definitely it a tough one, but I think yeah. that this is a team that has deserved our attention and deserved our enthusiasm and excitement. And tonight was an emphatic reminder of that, despite what the first half looked like. This is the Jags all year. Uh, so much good, driving the ball, doing some cool stuff, punching himself in the nuts several times, and then coming back and he's just like, and then at the end, you just remember, you're like, wow, that was fun. And you just forget all the bad parts that happened at the beginning. This is, the, But this is the Jags all season. This is what they did to us. So like beginning of the year, you look at the season or you look at each game. There's a lot of this throughout the year, but they're a fun team. At least it's entertaining. That, that's all you can ask for. All right. Anything else you want to say about this game? No, that I will say compliments to Brandon Staley. They, he had some cool disguises. I'll say that. Like they, the simulate pressure they got a sack on. That was really cool. They made Travis Etienne stay in. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. I know we just worked up, but there was some cool stuff in the first half. I was, I, trust me, I had so many notes. I was ready. And then the second half happened. But, uh, the Sante Samuel pick that we talked about again, it was really cool. Make sure you guys rewatch it. If you can see the motion beforehand, because how they disguise it with Michael Davis running with the motion and then him and uh, Derwin James switching spots and then running cover two was pretty sweet. It was, it was, there was, was a lot of nifty. that. That was pretty nifty. <laughs> was, uh, that would have gotten me too, because Trevor's like, man, man, man. Okay. I don't have to read this post snap. Everything I saw was man. And then you could see his brain short circuit. That's why he, he didn't even want to throw it. His brain was telling him not to throw it and he throws an interception. But I just want to bring that one up too, because it was pretty, that was pretty sweet. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's get to our next one here. 49ers crush the Seahawks 41 <laughs> to 23. Watching that game brought me back to the conversation we had about the Niners on Thursday, where I the word I kept coming back to was that they're just oh, they feel overwhelming. Yep. They just feel like this force of nature that can overtake you in and it doesn't take long. No. You know, and that's kind of what this game felt like. I mean, obviously, especially in the second half, you could just feel what they have personnel wise and the amount of superpower that they have. Yeah. Brock Purdy in the second half of that game, I believe, went nine of eleven for 185 yards. Normal stuff. <laughs> the Seahawks were winning at halftime. Okay? Yeah, and they played. I thought they played really well in the first half. They, they had did. the quick strike touchdown to, Mac, to DK Metcalf. They had a methodical yep. drive. Geno yep. was 9 of 10 in the first half. Running the ball. Kenneth Walker was had 13 carries for 54 yards. You know, Brock Purdy was 9 of 9. Other than the McCaffrey 68-yard run, the Niners running backs had four carries for zero yards mm. in the first half. Before the one of the field goals, it was a great play by Puna Ford against the run. The one punt that the Niners had, Shelby Harris like threw off Trent Williams. I was like, man. And the play where Metcalf ran over Javarius Ward in the flat, I was like, this team is not going to go quietly. And yeah. credit to Pete Carroll, and they're showing a lot of pride. And then the second half starts, and it, <laughs> it just they get absolutely boat raced. <laughs> <laughs> they did. The, it felt like every drive of the 49ers just had an explosive play where it was just like just left and right just and big ones and like 30 yarders 40 yarders uh, uh so schematically i i all year seahawks have had some issues defending out of base personnel and uh showed up today uh 30 percent so 49ers had 25 plays out of 21 personnel 30 percent of those went for explosives so uh, they had 13 dropbacks. They averaged basically one point per dropback out of, of 21 personnel. And it was just uh, uh, just the runs, the toss zones, the Debo Samuel out of the eye formation, and then playing off it where they have CMC as like the lone receiver. So they, they run the toss play to Debo, and then they have CMC split out. Same, They run the same play, but then they do that dart route, which is a now route. The slant. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, slant. And CMC's running it, but you have – you have your running back running your dart route that usually X receivers run, and you got your wide receiver in the backfield in the I formation, and you already p- pitched it to your or your wide receiver in the I formation, and then 
your now you have your running back getting a now route. And it's like for a defense, it's just like, what do we do? Because you have to check into certain coverages because you don't want Debo running a man on man with the linebacker. So it's just this offense is just overwhelming. It is. It's overwhelming to watch. It's over. I'm sure as a defender, it's just overwhelming to defend because what what do you do? You miss one tackle and it's a score. Brock Purdy finished the game with 332 yards on 30 attempts. Okay. People are going to talk a lot about the way he played and everything else. This game, first and foremost, two things. I think my biggest takeaway is about the San Francisco 49ers coming away from this game. Kyle Shanahan is <laughs> out Good. of this world. Yeah. You, you just talked about a lot of them. They averaged 7.9 yards per play in this game than the 49ers did. The first play that really jumps out to me is the McCaffrey run. The huge 68-yard McCaffrey run. Which we can pull up the dots for here. Yeah. It's a beautiful play. So they have use check, I believe, lined up in the slot on the left side. You guys can see it here. He cracks Barton Mm -hmm. inside to get an angle there. And then they have, I believe it was George Kittle coming across the Mm -hmm. formation in motion. He leads up on the corner with Ayuk going to the safety. And then you have Trent Williams doing a fantastic job on Irvin as the edge rusher, uh, the guy the man in the line of scrimmage. And the moment that you see that collision with Juszczyk coming inside in the replay, it's like, oh, this is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and, and and it looked like it. I mean, Kittle was yeah. he was looking for somebody to block, and it was just yeah. perfectly drawn up. Oh, it's exactly what how you do Tariq it. Tariq Wollen wanted no part of him. It was he, Kittle's. Right, he was like he started backpedaling towards the sideline when he saw eighty five running at him. I mean, that was the first one where it was just like, okay, this is going to be one of those games where he's just dialing up this kind of shit. It was awesome. And then there were two two completions that really jumped out. I guess three, where there was one to Ayuk early on play action, just. He sold it vertically and kind of came up over on a crosser. It was beautiful. And then there was another one where they had Danny Gray as the number one receiver on the right side and Ayuk on the left side. And they had Gray clear it out and they ran another big play action crosser to Ayuk. Even that like small thing where you got your, this guy is solely there for speed in Danny Gray. That's what he is right now. And he's clearing out that space for Ayuk. So you two huge completions to Ayuk on play action over the middle. And then there was a third one to George Kittle in the third quarter that oh, yeah. I wanted to point out. Hell yeah. What's beautiful about this play, and you guys can see it, they lined up in 21 personnel with Kittle and check as tight ends to the left side. For those of you who can watch this right now, I want you to look at the amount of space between all of the receivers on the Niners here. Christian McCaffrey runs in motion. He's running up the right sideline. So he's pulling that corner all the way to that side. Brandon Ayuk is the number one receiver on the right side is running vertical and pulling the safety out that way. Debo Samuel from the backfield is running to the left flat. So you have every single yard of grass across the entire field covered. You have a vertical stretch on the play. And then Juszczyk is high-lowing the linebacker over the middle of the field who has to make a decision between Juszczyk and Kittle. And Kittle's open by 10 yards. And Purdy puts it there. And that's what happened all game. I understand that Purdy's numbers are going to look really gaudy. But Dan Pizzuta from Sharp Football Stats put out a stat that I thought was fantastic. In this game, Brock Purdy had two throws into tight coverage. In the game, period. Not just completions. Two attempts into coverage with with less than a yard of separation. This was Kyle Shanahan just 
playing every right note at every right moment, and the Seahawks had zero answers whatsoever. It was great. It was uh, there's it's anyone know this the term brick jokes? You know, like where something happens first and then it gets paid off later. That's what was happening in this game. That I'm glad you brought up that play action to Kittle because even the action on it, the Dolphins love to do that action where they have the jet sweep action, which okay, so jet sweep with a with a switch release. That's one way to attack uh, a defense and make them communicate. But then they pulled the guard, uh, uh, Spencer Burford, who has been playing exceptional for them. The interior of the offensive uh, line period, I thought, has been this was that I, was Daniel Bronskill has played so much better. <laughs> <laughs> the one team we thought, the one area coming into the season personnel-wise where I was like, eh, was yeah. the interior of the Niners offensive line, and we don't even talk or think about it. And I think that mm-hmm. is such a testament to how, the progression that's happened from that group over the course of the season. Yeah. I mean, but uh, just that play. It, it, no, exactly. They they pull the guard. No pressure happens on it. It's nice and clean pocket. Um, I think I think Debo, yeah, Debo's in the backfield. He goes strong to weak. They fake the handoff to that. And then, so all of this is meant to attack the linebackers. I'm glad you brought up juice check on the play because the 49ers today, a lot were cross releasing. So the, the a back or a tight end would release through the guard in the center, a guard in the tackle, and then the route would work across and it would occupy multiple interme- intermediate defenders. So that's why those guys' eyes were just going back and forth, back and forth. And just the angles in the run game, like that, the, the, the long CMC run, um, there's another play because that ends up being like a pin pull with your skill guys. That's what run game is, is just angles. So him cracking outside and then also juice check goes into the linebacker inside. So he's working outside. So there, there's your pin pull, but they had another one where they went split backs with McCaffrey and Debo. And it was where Debo kind of made about three guys miss. It should have been like a one yard gain turned into like an eight yard gain, which won. But this was just, it was, it was early in the game. And so they go split backs. And usually in this look, and you'll see the Rams do, you see the Packers do it. It's like one of the the plays in the NFL split backs. One guy goes in a bubble motion or orbit or a jet motion. It's inside zone with a bubble. And it really is just a, a overhang read for the quarterback. You read this intermediate defender. Can he tackle the bubble? What the 49ers do is they show that. But instead of having a zone play, it's just a called basically bubble play. Those two outside receivers crack inside and CMC, who's in the backfield, leads outside. So again, it's like a pin pull with your skill guys with Debo Samuel in space. And then he ends up making guys miss. But that's just a nice like, kind of like snapshot of what Kyle Shanahan does. He just creates these amazing angles for his players. And these guys, all of them could take it to the house. <laughs> so it's speed with smarts. And it's just impossible to defend over time, over 60 minutes. You can't do it. I want to talk about that. Just the scope position talent in general. The last play I wanted to point out, the Jennings leak play when it happened. So Jennings is lined up in a condensed formation. They run a play action to that side and then run a leak to that side. And I watch it happen. And I was like, it looks really familiar. I can remember <laughs> watching that recently. And go back, look at the completions from their week 15 game. They ran pretty much the exact same design, but it was out of a double YY, what you call YY wing, the two tight ends on the same side. And they completed it to Tyler Croft on the right side, almost the exact same design for a huge chunk against the Seahawks the last time these two teams played. And beautiful. It just, it's just a little tweak on the same idea. And that is a Shanahan staple. Those little tweaks on the same ideas. You talking yeah. about oh, Debo's in warp motion. I think Debo's in the backfield. And maybe McCaffrey right. was lined up as receiver. It <laughs> reminds me of that scene from Little Giants where it's like the, the center's in the backfield. 
Uh, the, the, the quarterback's not even there. Like that's how every single 49ers <laughs> offensive play feels at this point. And then when you're annexation com- of Puerto Rico, every single play, that's what it is. When you're combining that with this is the other thing that really jumped out watching them again. Shocker. The skill position talent is unbelievable. And in, in all these small moments, the Debo touchdown where he takes yeah. it the distance, that's obviously the best example where you're just spitting the ball out to a guy yeah. and he's doing something that one human being can really do and it's him. But there were three three others today that were subtler. And it was the first one happened on a second 10 in the first half. They ran Kittle. I don't even know if it was actually a crosser. He like sat down about four yards past the line of scrimmage and they cleared it out for him. And Barton just couldn't chase him across the field. And he takes a four-yard completion for 13 yards and gets a first down. It's a small thing. But being able to do that with your tight end is something this team can do that really no one else can do. Correct. And the biggest one, the biggest example, and the best example of this kind of idea is a third and seven in the second half. And this is a play to, to Debo. And they just run Debo on a little crosser against Tariq Wollen. And they make Wollen carry him all the way across the field. He catches about three yards past the line of scrimmage on a third and seven. And what should be a five-yard, six-yard gain on third and seven, Debo catches it in traffic, manages to make the linebacker miss and run into Woolen, and then turns a three-yard completion into a 20-yard gain while breaking two more tackles. And it just happens all the time. In this game, the Niners averaged 10.85 yards after completion per catch. (laughs) Some of that is driven up by the 66 yards on the Debo touchdown. But plays like this are commonplace for them, where you have a three-yard completion on third and seven turn into a 25-yard explosive gain simply because of the guy who's catching the ball. And they've got a bunch of those guys. And that came up over and over again today. I thought Purdy played fine. He didn't make a big mistake. But even the throw to Jennings, he leaves that inside when he shouldn't. And so he's doing enough, but... This idea that you know the story of this game is Brock Purdy and what he's accomplished no. is I, I just don't agree with that. No. I, I think that no. his two best plays were probably the escape to Elijah Mitchell and the touchdown that Brandon Ayuk dropped. Yeah, I, I'm not pretty play fine. I mean, but are we honestly that blind? How many how many throws were the, these guys were catching behind him? <laughs> like, behind come on, or like wide the first, open like, or first like nine throws, wide open guys are behind. Like, I mean. Yeah, it felt like a lot like when uh, they would show like AJ McCarron as like a Heisman candidate in college, and he's like throwing a screen, and some like you know receivers taking it eighty yards, and he's fist pumping, and then they show him in slow motion. I'm like, show the receiver running eighty yards for a score. They did that a couple times where you know Debo scoring, and they're showing Purdy fist pumping. It's like, yeah, did a lot. <laughs> he played fine, um, but no, I just this combo of like this this juice that they have pretty being effective with the ball and finding the right throws. And then just the little dial up Shanahan has was the first play of the two minute drive uh, in the first half it was about a minute left. Uh, it goes to Ayuk it had 10 yards after the catch actually. So right on the average of the day, um, Seahawks are in three match. There was a lot, of, a lot of three match was the coverage of the day for both games. And it was just this little subtle thing. So it was under center. CMC is in the home position. Normal. Think of a we're running back alliance. I don't have the gift for this. So I get everybody gets the audible version of this. So CMC does the little, they do the little short motion with him, even though he's in the home position, we've talked about this play and usually they'll have him run vertical on this. Why this all matters is the first play and the two minute drive. They motion him out. 
being in three match, Tariq Wohn is a rookie. He had a rough day. He looked like a rookie today. His head pops because he goes, am I still man on IU <laughs> or do I have CMC because he's number one now? But they snap the ball before he's all the way outside. So he hesitates, even though he runs a whatever, 4-3 and change at whatever he is, 6-4. That split second of hesitation, I just runs across, catches it, 30-something yard gain, first play. And that's what all that is. It's just that little window dressing to make the uh, the opposition, the opposing team, hesitate. And then these guys just open it up. like the, It's room for error with room for error that just creates this just magic sometimes. But that just little play right there is just a little window dressing on something simple and turns into a 30-something yard gain. And it was just just little stuff like that. It's so it's entertaining to watch and watch it all build off each other, like the layers of it all. You're talking about the, the, the you see something early and then it comes back. It's like Shanahan's offense, like Chekhov's motion. Like if it happens early on, it's coming back later. It's kind of what <laughs> yeah. it feels where he's planting first, these yeah. little seeds. That's and exactly it. I check off some <laughs> I love that. A lot of people, I think, when the discussion was happening about Purdy today, you know, it was like, well, why isn't haven't the Niners been like this before? You know, if it's if the quarterback doesn't isn't a huge part of this, then why couldn't Jimmy G do it? Jimmy G was doing this yeah. before he got hurt when McCaffrey got there. When yeah. since McCaffrey got there and since the offense has had this group of skill position talent, they were rolling. Yeah. I mean, like absolutely rolling. This version of the Niners is still relatively new with the, all of these guys because you have McCaffrey who's been there since the middle of the season. Ayuk has not always been this version of Brandon Ayuk where he's, I don't know, a top 15 receiver in the league probably. Yeah. Like in that general range. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is. He's. I mean, he's. He. He was somehow. He's become an afterthought, even though it's like everybody's breakout candidate. He played. He broke out. Like he, he was a he really thousand good yards this year. He was their leading receiver, yeah. and he is oh, a yeah. like dynamic he, player. Yeah, so, he'd be the guy every other team would dial up plays for. Yes, like you know what I mean. And he's just an afterthought at times. For yes, this and that was not always the case. He was in the doghouse for no. the first half of last season, and of so course. this version of who they are is different. And I think that's why the machine feels different, and it is. Yeah so dynamic and so dominant with acceptable quarterback play. And I think that it would probably look like this if Garoppolo was in there based on the way that they're playing right now, maybe with one or two off schedule plays that Purdy can make that maybe Garoppolo couldn't because he can extend some stuff and he has that escapability. So I I think that's important to acknowledge as to where this team is and why they're having this sort of just, again, overwhelming success on offense. And we haven't even talked about Defense. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's they, <laughs> it doesn't. they made a couple big plays today, but they, they could have given up 35 and it, it wouldn't have mattered in this game because of the way that the offense played. Oh, I know. They squeak I mean the Seahawks, the, the touchdown of DK Metcalf was beautiful offensive football. That I'll call it that. They wadded it up, blocked up the splits, go ball, you know, take your one on one. That's what DK Metcalf is supposed to win. He 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 was up for the challenge today, Metcalf was, but that's the thing with this 49ers defense. They just squeeze everything else. They make the run game hard because even if you get a good run, you try to go back to it, boom, they're popping you. They make they squeeze everything. If you want to check it down, they make you scramble. And when you're scrambling, you're running for your life. You know, you're trying to run naked boots where, you know, lonesomes is what they call it. Gino's trying to run for it. You got another guy on the 49ers, not one of the all pros, making the tackle for a TFL to save it. Like, this whole defense just plays with an attitude and just so much speed that even when they get kind of bloody, their lips bloodied a little bit, they come back and make huge plays. Uh, Seahawks are driving. 
they get the strip sack uh, yeah. on, on on Gino, and that's like another, that's just a big play and a big moment for them. And it's not like it got lucky where well, if that didn't happen, I was like, yeah, but Seahawks kind of lost it there. That was their window because the you know that 49ers defense is going to start just squeezing, 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 and just pinning their ears back just like they did. And as soon as you give them an inch, it's over. And, and that's over. what happened today. As soon as that play happened, the floodgates open and, and the game just ends. And even that play, Bosa gets really good initial pressure. They have a mm-hmm. really cool looking stunt where they have an overload on the right side. They have a long loop with a meta who coming all the way back across and he makes the play. A man who is a man who's not as good of a player as Brandon Ayuk, by the way. But the fact that <laughs> a guy like Charles Amenu, who is like the third or fourth player right. on the Niners front, and he's somebody right. that I think is a pretty good player. They just have those guys all over the place. Tayshawn Gibson made a big play today. And yeah, he did. That that was the play I was talking about. It was Tayshawn Gibson coming down on the on running down Gino. But yes, sorry. That was a uh it was funny because the play design of that play, this is not worth getting into, but I thought it was interesting. It they had Parkinson as the offset in the gun as the second back in the backfield. And they mm-hmm. had him come across the formation, I assume to be a lead blocker on that play for Gino. If that doesn't happen, I think he gets the first down. Because that's the only reason that Kip Gibson got pulled that way is because they were in man coverage and yeah. he was car- covering Parkinson. If they had just left Nick Bosa unblocked on that play, I think that right. he gets an easy it's, first down. It's the worst. I hate when that happens, especially in man coverage. They just bring it over. But no, hey, you got to make the play still. You got Gino. Gino's a tough runner. <laughs> you know, he does. He's not the fastest in the world, but he's a tough runner. He's long. But like then. Uh, Eric Armstead like st- steps up. Like you He's know, the like in comparison oh, yeah, th- to the Ayuk of the defense. <laughs> but it's like, oh yeah, this guy, this guy, yeah, this guy's really good too. Like that's they, they just have dudes. Like <laughs> they just have dudes on all three levels. And yeah, I mean, just a fast, fast team. That I mean, that's what it is. They just play fast and angry. We have we we're now looking at the realized, idealized version of what the Niners have wanted to be under Kyle Shanahan. Like this is yeah. the, this is the ultimate realization of his, Speed kills. his, his <laughs> ideas and his plans. And it's yep. made possible by the McCaffrey trade. And now yep. the fact that they have these skill position players that you comparing to them, the Warriors is right in the sense that one of the reasons the Warriors were so dominant on those teams is that the alike body types and the ability and what it gives you on defense, it's the inverse yep. of that for an offensive football team. And right. the fact that you have all these guys that, you know, can switch everything essentially. It, it yeah. really makes them dangerous, it and is. you see that all the time with them. And it is very, very cool to watch. And this is watching this game and watching what the, the second half of the season has wrought is watching Kyle Shanahan's masterpiece. Like this is yep. that that is what we're watching right now, and it is very cool. As somebody who has, yes. I think both of us, you know, have kind of always watched him with a real reverence ba- based yeah. on what he could do and. If you go look at Nick Mullins' stats in the San Francisco 49ers offense, uh, that's all you really need to understand what Kyle Shanahan can do for a quarterback and for a team. And now you give him this personnel playing this way, this is the final result. I know the Seahawks defense isn't great. It's beyond the Seahawks defense. They have transcended who they're playing against here. Well. I felt like I feel like Shanahan's offense for years and what people pictured it as or really what it was. I mean, just pictured the Texans and everything. It was like, okay, outside zone and naked, you know, bootlegs and outside zones and death by eight yard gains, death by six yard gains. That's what they get. And then they bootleg you for a 20 yard over and they just do it over and over and make Matt Schaub look like an all pro, you know. But then I think, like you said, this is his, you know, almost his magnus opus, you know, not even this in the 2016 Falcons is because 
I mean, every one of these plays can go literally get taken to the house. Like it's every play that they run, which is awesome because he's dialing up guys hitting the like you're seeing CMC catch or Debo catching these toss plays. They don't get contacted till like seven yards down the field. Wow. And then they run a pass play and there's over routes where guys are wide open, but it's not just there's so many times where you see these offenses, we laugh like, oh, Shanahan wants to make the play on the expert mode. You know, that's why he's playing this guy over this guy. But now you're playing, you're seeing it, it's like now he's doing all the stuff he was doing, but playing in easy mode where it's like, hey, I just run a naked and it, sh- it should be a 12 yard gain. And that's what I used to make my living off. But then there's Debo Samuel taking it, you know, to the house. And that's the difference. It's a, it's just what should have been six yard gains turned to 60 yard gains. And, but it's not just one guy. It's the entire offensive skill position or at least four of them. And Harrison Barnes, juice check. Again, very (laughs) useful. I mean, that, that, very useful. What he can do is a necessary component of who they are. Yes. The fact that he can split out and crack linebackers and then on the next play, he's in the backfield. Next play, he's a tight end. It's, it's, it's so useful. It's because it's 21, but it's 12. And then, and then like it's the alignments and they can live in 21, but they can do whatever they want. And I think that that is a really key component. The fact that, well, because in 21, your tight end is somebody who can, give you some juice vertically because it was yes. the way the type of athlete he but is. Then, but then he could be in the backfield pass protecting. Yeah. And then it's, oh, it's just, it's disgusting. It's, a fever <laughs> it thing, really it's unbelievable. It is. It's awesome. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's do a little postmortem here for the Seahawks. Okay. A disappointing end to the season, but 
playing with house, house money, money a little bit. We've been talking house about this money. for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Uh, this team was supposed to be bottom of the barrel rebuilding and to be a playoff team and to look like they did. And even today, I, again, going back to that first half, I'm sitting there watching them being like, man, Pete Carroll, 71 year old Pete Carroll and being able to kind of get his guys up to meet the moment in that first half before they just get overwhelmed by the talent on the other side of the ball. He just, he's been very good at this for a very long time. And I think that this season with a team that was this young and had this many holes on it and to be able to put together the year that they had was incredibly impressive. And the reports right now are that Gino will be back next year. He said he expects to be back. Curious what that looks like. You know, is it a a two-year contract? Is it longer than that? Can they mm-hmm. not come to the right extension? Because this is a weird area. You know, what right. this middle-class quarterback contract world looks like, it's hard to figure out. It's, it's hard to navigate. So yeah. I'm, I really am curious to see what that number is if they get to an extension or if they get to a place where it ends up being the tag because they can't figure that out. I, he deserves to be back the way that he played. I think that he keeps them competitive next year with all the resources that they have. Mm-hmm. This team has $48 million in cap space before whatever they figure out with Gino. So if that's the tag, that obviously is a huge chunk of it. But if not, then get him playing on a $20 million tag or, or cap hit. Mm-hmm. You, know, you still have $30 million in space, whatever moves you make. Plus, this team has the fifth pick in the first round, the 20th pick in the first round, the 38th yes. pick, and the 54th yeah. pick. They have four top 54 picks. Pretty fun. And you made the playoffs. Yeah. That's that's fun. No, uh, they can kind of choose your adventure a little bit in a good way. Uh, it's, I think, yeah, I would assume that Geno's coming back. I think you can do that because they nailed this last draft. <laughs> I mean, they really did. They got a lot of starters, good starters. They might get two tackles in the same draft. They got a, an all-pro, oh, a guy that was fighting for all-pro. He was a Pro Bowl corner as a rookie, which would usually be a big deal if there wasn't another Pro Bowl all-pro corner <laughs> this year. Um, they got, uh, I mean, the guy that they traded first round picks was even playing this year, uh, this year in Jamal Adams. Um, they found some other interesting pieces. Uh, Wosu, um, you know, other guys stepped up. Uh, but I just think that's what, what's nice is that they can kind of do what they want with Gino and then they can kind of choose who else are their pieces, their building blocks. That's what's nice about kind of where, where they're at on top of adding young talent. They can draft a quarterback, have him go behind Gino, which is also another fun path they can go down. But I think this was a house money year for them. Pete got them those guys up, and it wasn't lucky. Like their offense played legit well for a long time. They had some blemishes at the end of the year. The defense improved for a while and came back down. But they put out they punched above their weight all year. But also had some interesting young pieces. So it wasn't just like pure luck where you're like, who else are they can build around? So awesome year for them. Awesome year for Seattle fans. Go Mariners. The Kraken look good. You know, now the Seahawks, you know, so not a bad, not a bad year. I can't remember what the Sounders did. They didn't win the MLS Cup. I know that, but it's like, you know, the Sounders also too, but good year for Seattle fans. They can hunt for an edge rusher in the top 10, which I think makes sense. A lot of Bruce Irvin snaps today. (laughs) Been a lot of Bruce Irvin over the second half of the season. A lot of Bruce Irvin in coverage, which is not what you want in 2023, really. So you try to remake the defense with some of those resources and just see where you can get on that side of the ball. But I think a real testament to that organization and to Pete Carroll, yep. you know, there were real questions coming into the season about, oh, you know, a rebuilding team and a 70 something coach. And does he really want to be a part of this? I mean, that seems like pretty long in the tooth to 
be starting over again with our young roster and he it was fan- it was really really good it was really impressive yeah. like what they did the final result is again just a reminder that p carroll has been an excellent head football coach in this league for a very long time and you talk about punching above your weight i think he's been able to get his guys to do that for better part of a decade now i mean he knows what, how to do it man what is the what's the worst season that p carroll has had as the head coach of the seattle seahawks it was last year right okay they were they were first se- year they were seven and ten last year. Okay. All right. Before that, the last time that the Seahawks finished below five hundred was two thousand eleven. They went seven okay. and nine. Eleven and five, thirteen and three, twelve and four, ten and six, ten five and one, nine and seven, ten and six, eleven and five, twelve and four. And then nine and eight this year and another trip to the playoffs. It's a lot of wins. It's a lot of wins. Yep. A couple and DVOA championships in there. A lot of like, DVOA yeah. championships in there. <laughs> but but that speaks to them. Like they they've always been it's been real good teams. Not yeah. like, oh, they oh they they got lucky this year and they're expected win losses this. Like, no, they when they won eleven games, they won those eleven games. That's how it always felt like with them. So credit to them and, and credit to yep. uh, a really good first step in their rebuilding process. And yep. we'll see what step two looks like next next year. Yeah. All right. Yep. It was a fun year for them. That's all we got. That's all we got. We did it. First day. I was not ready. I was not ready for what that first game, with that second game and the pivot that was necessary. It really reminded me of you're in a press box and you you think you're going to write one thing and then the game changes at the end and you're just looking at a blank screen. And that's kind of what that that felt like. And that's an exciting moment. (laughs) And I've been part of plenty of those. I was at (laughs) I was at the 28 to three Super Bowl. I was, oh. I mean, oh, I've been, I didn't know that. I, I've been, they were, the, oh, today yeah. was the five, Savior, it was the five year anniversary of the Minneapolis Miracle, and I was there. I mean, I, I've seen some pretty wild shit live, and I, everyone that was at that Jags Chargers game today, I'm sure was going through a very similar experience. And when you are there for that sort of moment in a playoff game, uh, that sticks with you. It's pretty damn cool. And so, that yeah. was, it really brought me back. I had that panic that I was feeling in the 15 minutes before we started recording. Yeah. It's always good when you see, you know, some like cold weather games, especially you see the the big drunk guys with their shirts off, like to start the game. <laughs> Jags fans were taking them off as the game was going. And it wasn't because they were going into the pool and the upper deck. <laughs> that, that was, that was that atmosphere today. It was, it was the world's largest outdoor cocktail party part two, or at least the first one before the one comes this fall for 2023. Congrats that to was, those guys. Uh, that was an awesome game for them. I hope they enjoy it. Their, their prizes that they get to go play Patrick Mahomes in Arrowhead next yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> all right go go get him tiger no it's gonna be a great game though I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for that game all right if you guys have not please subscribe to the youtube channel i'm gonna try to do this with these games you know the obviously the primetime games there's only one thing to watch we're gonna try to provide some examples of the plays that we're talking about you know little things like that we're still learning on the go here i appreciate you guys kind of going along on the ride for with us we will be back here again tomorrow night doing the same thing talking about three games that are going to happen tomorrow so in the meantime please subscribe to the youtube channel please subscribe to the athletic the athletic.com slash football show is where you can do that same time ish same place tomorrow until then we really appreciate you guys listening we'll talk to you soon this was the athletic football show